0: His whole planet was destroyed he's the last of a holocaust he grew up in the dirt finding out slowly how different he was a stranger discovering every day just how strange he was he has the power to tear the world apart and he could with a pinky it's not his world we're not his people we should be ants to him imagine that always being on the outside the pain that would come from always being on the outside and yet he took that pain and became the symbol of hope. Welcome back to another episode of the Hall of Justice comic cast. As always, I'm your host, the Above Average Joe. And with me again is my good friend and co-host from the Hall of Justice show, Books and Brooms. Everyone's favorite snarky Brit, Lauren.
1: Hey guys, welcome back. Um, I'm sure you guys are fed up of me already, but you know, Joe's asked me back, so why not?
0: (laughs) Okay, so today I wanted to take a look at the storied past of the Man of Steel himself, Superman. And I want to go through the main versions of his origins because it's been, as many times as Batman's got retconned in its early days, Superman's has been retconned multiple times in recent history. So we're going to go through the three main versions of his origin, starting with the 1986 series, The Man of Steel. Now, of course, we all know that Superman first appeared in Action Comics number one in 1938. He was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, right? If you didn't know, there you go. But the Man of Steel is a brand new origin for him that was created after the fallout of Crisis on Infinite Earths, and it combined many different versions of Superman mythology. It drew from the Christopher Reeve films, it drew from some from some, some Silver Age storylines, and kind of created this whole new mythology. The series itself was written and drawn by John Byrne and reimagined the origins of Superman in kind of a snapshot section. So there's it's six issues the first two of which are really his origin and, and the other four are early adventures. So They set up things like Bizarro and his rivalry with Lex Luthor and his relationship with Lois. They're kind of meant to be stepping stones into what would be later stories but right off the bat we know that krypton is doomed right the planet's getting ready to explode jor-el and lara load their infant son kal-el into a rocket and shoot him to earth where he might survive now this is a little different because one actually the spelling of the names l is different here where previously it was literally just the letter l this is now kal- L E L. So it's, it's a visual differentiation between the golden age Superman who is still referred to as Cal L, which is the letter. The ship that they put him in is wildly different than anything before it. While the golden age was just, they put him in a rocket and shot him and shot him to earth. This rocket is more than just a rocket. It's actually an artificial womb of sorts that keeps Clark alive in flight but it also means that when he crash lands on earth superman for lack of a better term is almost born again on earth this is important for a couple of reasons much later on in superman's mythology so the rocket crash lands in smallville kansas it's found by john and martha kent they cover up the crash they adopt clark everyone kind of knows this but years later the story really starts with Clark as a teenager in high school where he single-handedly wins the championship for small the football championship for Smallville High. As everyone's giving him the fanfare and of course he's, you know, the golden quarterback, Jonathan kind of pulls his son aside and they drive back to the Kent farm. He starts warning him about using his powers openly, about being too showy, about being too good, too fast, too strong, trying to impress upon Clark the need to be Careful and to maintain a level of secrecy. And Clark has had these powers, but he's never really known the origin of them. So he just he takes them for granted because he thinks he's just supposed to be this way. And this is when John brings him into the barn and unveils the 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 birthing matrix, the rocket itself that brought him to Earth, and explains the kind of the origins of his powers. Not necessarily the you know the yellow sun thing. You're from. krypton but that you are an alien and that's why you have these powers and this really shocks clark into understanding the importance of maintaining an air of secrecy and he decides to stop being so irresponsible with his powers and he actually decides to leave smallville and go search for places where he can put his powers to good use go find places where he can contribute to the greater good so he actually travels the world a bit Writing wrongs on the down low as this kind of heroic guardian we then jump ahead several years to the 250th anniversary celebration of metropolis this is where clark has been living for the last several years and a special nasa nat eh, special nasa craft called the constitution is prepared to land for the first time at a, at a commercial airport so this is a big Big deal in the, in the way space shuttles operate. But what happens is, as the shuttle's on its descent, a passenger plane enters the no fly zone and collides with the shuttle. This causes both craft to spin out into a tailspin and crash. And Clark is forced to unveil his powers to the world. He's, he's forced to leap into the sky, fly up, catch the shuttle, and help it land. And of course as he does this as he touches down on the tarmac with the shuttle strapped across his his shoulders basically like atlas everyone comes running up to him and they're just astonished by him they're swarming him they're throwing questions at him everyone wants to know who he is where he's from how he could do this one of those being one of the passengers on the shuttle our very own lois lane and she almost has a very close inter- interaction with him but again Clark kind of overwhelmed by everyone suddenly now aware of his presence just bolts he flies up and away just gone because he he doesn't want to be a celebrity he doesn't want this this fame that comes with being able to have these powers and he goes back home to smallville and he basically is really sitting there at his mother and father's table on the farm talking about what this means and what it's, what it means for him to now be out in the open and how it means he'll never have a normal life again. And this is where the, the use of Clark Kent as a secret identity comes in because everyone's seen his face. Now this is the face of Superman. This is where the glasses get introduced and not, it's not just the glasses that hide Superman's identity. Clark has to reinvent his whole personality as Clark to be different than his true self as Superman
1: well yeah look at the body language. If talking about Christopher Reeve as we were the difference in the body language because there was that clip I sent you yesterday or whenever it was the other day just the difference in the voice and the body language and that whole thing to show the difference between Clark and Superman um, I think it's really interesting
0: and that's that's further reinforced it's one of my favorite quotes regarding the the differentiation between the two, the two personalities it comes from an episode of the 90s series lois and clark the new adventures of superman where oh, terry
1: catcher and dean king
0: yes exactly um superman,
1: oh, I Lo- watched that growing up make me feel old why don't you
0: believe me i know, I know the feeling <laughs> so there's a moment in that show where lois is upset that Clark has basically lied to her for years in in terms of hiding his identity. And he says that she's always known who he is because Superman is what he can do. Clark is who he is. So Clark Kent is Superman, but the persona of Superman is the powers and the cape and the idea of this symbol of hope so jonathan helps his son concoct a way for him to still live a normal life and still use his powers for good and this is actually where the the costume comes in so kind of again very similar to the way that the lois and clark show handled it which was a very 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 well done adaptation of the man of steel storyline in its first i think three episodes she helps create this costume for clark And this is where we get the first taste of what really is changing with this origin and the way that his powers work. It's not just that, that he, that he's very strong, very, very fast, that he can fly, that he has all these powers. The man of steel delves into the science behind how his powers function. And this is something that's really kind of a hallmark going into the nineties is there's a lot of logic put into Superman's powers. So that they can use them as a story dynamic later on and not just have him be able to do anything at any given moment. Martha noticed as Clark was growing up that anything really, really close to his skin, anything kind of skin tight, wouldn't get messed up by his powers. Like it wouldn't get torn, wouldn't get ripped. So she creates this skin tight costume for him that is the Superman costume with the big S that stands for Superman, the, the belt, the, the boots... The cape is the only thing that is essentially not protected by this aura that Clark's body emits.
1: But also, that would explain why the kryptonite thing works because it's from Krypton, at least in theory. So
0: it yeah in in the in the Golden Age, yes the the blanket was made of Kryptonian cloth. It was his baby blanket. That's not necessarily the case here. No, no
1: I mean the actual like why this. Stone gem thing, what an element is Superman's? I was about to say kryptonite, but you know what I mean. It's, yeah. it's his Achilles heel. It's At least in theory, based on what you're saying.
0: Yeah, uh, it's based
1: on the science of him um, because of the yellow sun and blah blah blah, having all of these powers because he's an alien. Having something from his own planet to cancel his powers would kind of make sense
0: exactly and that's actually how they they even explain kind of the the logic behind kryptonite and that it is debris from the planet Krypton that has been exposed to various levels of cosmic radiation that have that cause Superman pain and it's not and not just cancel out his powers but it physically hurts him
1: because he's not used to it
0: yeah so this is where it's a very iconic image again by, by John Bryan who Draws Superman basically flying for the first time as Superman in the costume with the cape. This is where Clark kind of decides to put his powers to use publicly and becomes Superman. Now, I, just again,
1: I just keep on thinking of it in the mode no capes,
0: no capes. Um, there's been a variety of discussions around the cape as to kind of why it exists. There's this tongue in cheek kind of explanation that it helps Clark. With aerodynamics while flying but it's never really been confirmed it's just kind of one of those one off this is possibly but also maybe he just likes the cape now I want to talk Go. I want to go back maybe, a bit
1: maybe he thinks he's set a trend because Bruce has got one as well
0: well actually um, Superman appears first in most DC continuity at least at this time post Crisis on Infinite Earths Sur- Superman publicly debuts first. Batman just debuts a little while later. It's like within the same year. They're relatively close to one another.
1: Yeah. So they. So Superman has a cape first, and then Batman gets a cape. So he's a trendsetter.
0: Kind of. There's there's <laughs> the, there's there's a lot of back and forth about the cape because the cape also has its similarities in Kryptonian uh, clothing and, and design. The designs of Krypton are, are very alien in this iteration, and it kind of borrows very heavily from the Richard Donner Superman movie in that Krypton is this very cold, calculated, austere world.
1: Vulcan, even?
0: Kind of. Um, they're not emotionless and, and, and wholly logic-based, but they are a very stoic, scientifically-minded people. Mm-hmm. And their planet kind of reflects that. Everything has is, is got this kind of serenity to it, that it, it, it's peaceful, but it's also definitively alien. And this is a big change from the Golden Age, where Krypton was kind of like this world of tomorrow, this this land of wonders. So that was a big shift away from what people had known at the time. But before we continue, uh, I just want to follow up. Do you have any questions so far? Or
1: Going back to what you were saying about the shuttle... Um, I know there is an origin story of Supergirl where she's actually Superman's older cousin and gets sent off before him or whatever it is. So where does that actually come in?
0: That falls, uh, without getting too detailed into Supergirl's origins, that falls a couple of years into Superman's career that her pod lands. Yes, she is his older cousin and was kind of sent along as a guardian for him.
1: Hmm. But was that in the original run,
0: or...? That was more, uh, again, post-crisis in the, original, in the original run. She just kind of, her pod lands, there's not really the whole explanation of her being his protector. She's just his cousin, who also survived, and she emerges from the pod, completely formed as Supergirl, because that's the way it was. I was going to
1: say, I don't know if you've um, checked the messages I sent you down the side.
0: Uh, where does Clark becoming a reporter come in this is kind of one of those retro continuity pieces where Clark had he really made he ma- he majored in journal- journalism at the University of Kansas and got his degree in it, it Was just kind of explained as an innate interest of his pr- along the lines of his desire for truth and justice is that obsession with finding the truth instead of say the golden age where all of this stuff was just kind of tacked on all the um ideas of him as a journalist and him being Clark Kent and this change in personality and stuff this is all a really relatively new advent in Superman storytelling until that time
1: you were saying last last episode I assume that certainly in the golden age they just sort of said this is what happened and didn't actually go very much into the in-depth stuff.
0: Yeah, there was there was it was very surface level storytelling, but that's because the the media of comics was still very new and was rapidly evolving. So no one mm. really kind of knew what to expect from it in terms of storytelling dynamic. Which is why in the golden age things like secret identities were really just filler. Mm. Where Clark Kent was really was honestly just something that Superman did in between being Superman. He wasn't a part of who he was. He was literally just a cover. So that that's the post-crisis origin of Superman. And it really, it's the first one to really kind of play up the alien aspect of his life. While the Golden Age didn't shy away from him being an alien, he was still very much that all-American you know, Truth, just way hero. Whereas this new direction in Superman really focuses on the alien nature. It the post-crisis round Superman really focuses on things like the Phantom Zone, the Fortress of Solitude, alien threats, the obsession that Lex Luthor has with Superman because he's alien and represents a certain threat. That's really built out, built on here and becomes a much more prevalent part of superman's mythos
1: yeah i was gonna say going back to what you were saying about the whole you know winning the all-state championship and whatever and all that kind of stuff thing is these days he wouldn't actually probably be able to do sports because he'd either be accused of doping or they would find out that he wasn't actually human and that would cause a shitstorm anyway
0: exactly and that's something that's the show smallville explored to great effect is while Clark did want to compete in these things he couldn't because of how dangerous it was to him and his secret
1: now this was kind and that of that was back in the 2000s let alone whatever it is nearly 20 years later
0: it, exactly and for the longest time Superman the man of Steel which was that six issue run was the just the boilerplate origin story for superman and it wasn't until Infinite Crisis and shortly thereafter where they decided they wanted to update his origins for a more modern world. And that introduced us to the book, Superman Birthright. And this one, it's written by some of, it's got one of my favorite creative teams. It's written by Mark Wade. It was uh, drawn by Lionel Yu. It is a, it's a gorgeous book, but man, does it radically change Superman's origin. And
1: okay, not just... so going back to what you were... Sorry, going back to what you were saying about the Man of Steel, obviously Man of Steel the comic book and Man of Steel the film are two very different kettles of fish by the sounds of it.
0: Yeah, Man of Steel the film really just uses the title Man of Steel because it's one of Superman's many monikers. Mm. Whereas... I mean, i I personally believe, personally believe that Henry Cavill is a very good adaptation of John Byrne's Superman. Like, there's moments where he just looks like he walked right off the page. The film. I mean,
1: you're not going to hear me complain.
0: The film itself has many issues that I will go into at a later date.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, I haven't seen it, so um, I couldn't possibly comment.
0: So, let's talk about Superman birthright because this one gets really off the wall in some of the coolest but also weirdest ways possible. One, that's
1: not sounding. That's not that's not imbuing confidence.
0: It was a very surreal kind of read because this was meant to be um his origin story and then it got revamped a short time later, I want to say like three years later, in another story. So, right off the bat, the, the cold, kind of dystopian, very alien version of Krypton that was created in Man, in Man of Steel is jettisoned. It's thrown out the window. And kind of call it, Mark Wade kind of brings back the golden age where, or even more in the early silver age, where Krypton was this land of wonder and promise and utopia. Yeah very much so and kind of goes on to say that the people grew tired of war so they made peace because they, they they had just evolved beyond petty squabbles this is also where the the first big change happens in that the s symbol on superman's chest does not stand for superman this is where it's this is where it's turned into an actual kryptonian symbol a symbol of his family's house as opposed to just an s So think about that. It's this commonly held belief that the S is a Kryptonian symbol. It's the symbol of the House of L. And that didn't happen until 2004. Really? Yeah.
1: Damn. I mean, to be fair, I had heard both versions. I just didn't realize it was that recent that it changed. Because it seems to be each adaptation, whether it's film, TV, comics, or whatever, just seems to either just seems to do their own
0: thing with it. Yeah, like, in the Silver Age, they said, oh, it's the, it's the House of L's coat of arms. In the Golden Age, it was literally just an S. Here, 2004, deep into the modern age of comics, it kind of gets its definitive description as this Kryptonian symbol of hope.
1: The
0: House of L's. So, the Kints are still farmers, like they've always been. They're, they're a little younger than before. That's in order to give Clark... Parents later into his life.
1: That bit stuck.
0: Yeah, so they're they're in their early to mid twenties when they find Clark. So they're they're very young. They're younger, but they're also fallible. Whereas in Man of Steel, there was this kind of the eternal wisdom of Ma and Pa Kent. You get to see them as flawed, complicated parents here in Superman Birthright. For instance, Martha, for example, she goes from being the simple farmer's wife. She's kind of fascinated by aliens and UFOs and kind of runs this alien conspiracy blog when Clark is in his twenties. So they they, they give Bon Pa Kent more personalities just than be, than beyond you know just them being parents and his, his parents only entire dynamic between John and Clark regarding his powers and identity is reversed here. Whereas in in John Bryan's era, Superman was committed to using his powers in secret and once outed, kind of retreated back into that almost introvert-like phase and was unsure of what to do and it was Jonathan who suggested using the costume and, and the glasses and creating the new identity. In Wade's story, Clark comes up with the idea of the costume and the identity and Jonathan is just kind of dismayed at the idea and it feels like to him it feels like Clark is trying to I, I abandon his identity as his son and embrace his more alien nature. So there's there's a bit of a conflict there. Now here's where it gets weird because Mark Wade really really plays with Clark's personality and power set and they're, the two are in, are entwined because he introduces this power that's kind of referred to as soul vision where Clark can basically see the electromagnetic aura emitted by a living being
1: that's sounding dark
0: well he he can see all kinds of things like he can actually see radio waves and, and, and see things like that but being able to perceive that electromagnetic aura of a, of a living being and the way it dissipates when they die, it actually turns Clark into a vegetarian. Okay. Which is an interesting you know, attempt at telling something, but it also doesn't really have any depth because Superman doesn't need to eat, so the idea of him being a vegetarian is just kind of trivial. And because he can see and perceive this, this aura, that's kind of why Clark is so committed to protecting life, because the loss of life it's very apparent to him in ways that transcend normal human perception of, of life and death.
1: Yeah. yeah, I'm not sure about
0: To say that those reactions, that those changes were met with some reactions is, is an understatement. Um, at, at the time when it came out, Superman Birthright was very controversial because it made such sweeping changes to the backbone of Superman's character.
1: And also to the changes to the camp parents
0: yeah like it, there were there were a lot of controversial opinions it, it was popular and hated at the same time i mean I, I still to this day have a very conflicted relationship with this book because while i love what it does i don't necessarily love the origin itself mm. like i think it's a really great one-off by itself superman read if you want a new take on superman i don't think it works as a in continuity superman origin Mm. which was kind of the same reaction that dc editorial finally came around to uh three years later in 2009 or sorry uh no it's four years it's four years later in early 2008-2009 they decided to redo Superman's origin again with the cleverly titled Superman's Secret Origin mm-hmm. that was written by Jeff Johns with art by Gary Frank and this is cool for a couple of reasons because Gary Frank's art, it's the really first time that Superman is drawn as Christopher Reeves Like it is full on Christopher Reeve Superman in the comics, that is what that is the aesthetic they they go with, in terms of Clark's design, and it's brilliant. I absolutely Jones love it. A
1: producer on one of the DC and the Belanti or on Smallville. Uh, John's also.
0: has been involved in a lot of productions. He was he's for a long time. He was an exec producer and creative developer for DC. He has since moved on to his own production company, and I think is g- going to be the showrunner for the Green Lantern series on HBO Max.
1: Uh, yeah, I was going to say, because I could have sworn I'd seen him, like I said, involved in either the bellantiverse verse or um, Smallville.
0: Um, he was involved with, with, with both. In fact, actually, there is, in the series finale of Smallville, uh, when the scene where Chloe is reading kind of the comic story of Superman to her son, that's Gary mm. Frank's art. Nice. Yeah. So it it pulled, but Secret Origin was cool because it pulled together new material. It pulled from Smallville. It pulled from Golden Age stuff with Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes and really pulled together this all in one origin that was for a long time his accepted origin story. And then after the collapse of the new 52 and kind of the return to previous continuity, it is now once again Superman's origin. So that's kind of it's kind of a testament to how well done this particular iteration is.
1: That they dropped it and then came back to it.
0: Yeah. It 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 brings back some of the Silver Age relationship with with Lana Lang and that friendship there. It actually pulls right from the season one um, finale of Smallville with Lana being in the tornado and Clark running into it. They even use the the blue shirt and the red jacket that Smallville became known for. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's actually also the very first time that there's a nod to Chloe Sullivan in the comics. Nice. Uh, You see her name written on um, someone's cast in school. Like they're signing, everyone's signing someone's cast and you see Chloe S and like, "Ah." as a Smallville fan, that made me happy. This also brings back kind of the, the golden age conflict with Lex Luthor, wherein they were... Both in Smallville together, and basically had a falling out, and that's what kind of caused their rift. The big thing about Superman's secret origin is it brings back not only the Legion of Superheroes and his adventures with them, but it also reestablishes the continuity of his fifties nineteen fifties adventures of uh, of Superboy that told the stories of him. As a young man in Smallville using his powers for good.
1: I've always thought Superboy was a separate character. In
0: in more modern stories, yes, it is a new character, but for quite some time, Superboy was literally just the stories of young Clark Kent.
1: So, did he have Crypto the Superdog or whatever it is? Or is that that just. That's where
0: all that really comes from is those Superboy era comics. And this brings them back. This brings us back into continuity it brings the legion of superheroes back and time traveling and Superman Clark kind of gets to see kind of who he'll become. It's got a hilarious last page. And I think it's like issue three where he's, he's wearing Clark as a teenager is wearing the costume again. And he just looks at his parents and says, I am never wearing this thing again. (laughs) He's like, I feel ridiculous. And the very next issue is like Superman all grown up (laughs) going to Metropolis. And when I say that super, that Secret Origin pulled from various super, Superman media, it even pulls slightly from, again, Lois and Clark, because Lex Luthor likes having everyone look up to him. In fact, literally every morning in Metropolis, he walks out onto the balcony of his, of his building and basically picks one random civilian to quote-unquote save and give them money and gifts and stuff. Because he's a pompous ass.
1: See Neil and Marvel.
0: Yeah, basically. Um, What happens here is Clark comes to Metropolis and he's, this is the first time that, again, we get that kind of Christopher Reeve bumbling, you oh shucks, glasses always slipping down the nose, Clark Kent. And because it's, it's drawn specifically as Christopher Reeve, it really, really works. The whole thing just feels more organic he goes up against the, the parasite who is one of these c- civilians that lex luther saved who gets into an accident at, at a factory and becomes this power draining parasite he has interactions with lois it it really is a good parallel it's, it's a good parallel between popular culture around superman and, and continuity resources around superman the relationship with Lois really works because it starts off with that. Yeah. I, I, I ignore Clark Kent, but Clark actually becomes a little more important to her, which is what really makes their relationship work is that she falls in love with Clark and not Superman and Superman's secret origins also really sets up one of the most brilliant reasons and most base reasons for Lex Luthor's hatred of Superman is that Superman essentially steals Metropolis's favor. Once he arrives on scene, once he becomes the shining cape-wearing hero, everyone now looks to the skies looking for Superman and not Lex Luthor. In fact, it even goes so far as to say that, like after Superman has become established, Lex walks out onto his balcony one day to do his savior routine. And no one is standing outside Luther Corp.
1: I mean, my sarcastic comment is along the lines of, oh diddums."
0: Yeah, like, it, it, you don't feel bad for Lex, but also you, you get a really good idea of how fragile Lex's ego is. Which is something that, again, this post-Secret Origin storytelling really fleshed out is just how, just the complexities of Lex Luthor as a character.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, that was something that Smallville, as far as I remember, did really well.
0: Oh, as far as I'm concerned, Michael Rosenbaum is, like, the definitive Lex Luthor. Like, he did an amazing job with that. But also, I
1: was thinking, um... Oh, shit, I've forgotten the actor's name. The guy who plays Lionel. John Glover. Yes. And that whole... Relationship.
0: That was done brilliantly. In fact, what's kind of interesting is that the... The visual design of lionel luther with the beard and the long hair that is actually a callback to lex luther in later years where he's kind of reborn he clones himself a new body because his first one gets dies because of like kryptonite explosion cancer sorry i shouldn't (laughs) it was so weird and so fun at the same time because how arrogant does he have to come back as his and pretend to be his own son (laughs) <laughs> it's it's very, very weird. Plus, Have
1: you seen the film The Island, right?
0: Unfortunately. Mm-hmm. As I drain my beer. Anyway. I
1: well, didn't think it was that bad, but then I haven't seen it for a while.
0: I'm not going to get into my feelings on Michael Bay. Now, Good,
1: well made. I'd forgotten he directed it. I was just thinking, you McGregor and Scarlett Johansson.
0: Well, there's very little to complain about there. Moving on. (laughs) Secret Origin was basically held as Superman's origin story from 2009 until 2011 with the creation of the New 52. And the New 52 was the first hardline full reboot of the DC continuity. Okay. It worked and it didn't work at the same time. There was a lot of confusion because some titles were completely restarted other ones picked up where they left off just with new numbering you really didn't get a sense of the continuity it wasn't very well thought out
1: wasn't very well done by the sounds
0: individual titles and universes were well done the universe as a whole was not
1: yes okay that sounds
0: good that has kind of a big change on the DC universe where it always felt very contiguous it like everything made sense in the context of the DC universe. The individual books didn't feel like they were set on different Earths, whereas the new 52 just felt wildly different and really changed Superman's origins. Like his return from Krypton, all the the Kents, that, that all happened and stayed that way. But by the time Clark's in his 20s, both Ma and Pa Kent are dead. And he's entirely on his own going into this life as Superman. And doesn't really know how to be the symbol of hope. He's just kind of acting like a cocky 20-year-old who just happens to be able to throw cars like beach balls. And that kind of makes
1: he's got nobody to ground him.
0: Very much so. And the new 52 Superman was radically different because he was so cocky and...
1: Seems to have been a bit of a shit from your description.
0: He was... Until later in his run, he did not feel like Superman. And it wasn't until basically that run was ending after, because uh, they decided to end the 52 all at issue number 52 of all the various books, which led into DC Rebirth and kind of a return to classic continuity. Finally, at the end of that run, the new 52 Superman started to feel like Superman, and then it ended. <laughs> but then I got classic Superman back, so I wasn't complaining the biggest change in the new 52 superman was the costume in that this was the first time that it was some version of kryptonian technology which is why it kind of had this armored appearance and that costume design has has its fans has its detractors i was not a big fan of it because i felt like it it's kind of useless to have superman wearing armor
1: this is basically just sounding like the bat nipple too
0: no it's not that bad it's not you know laden with nipples it's just it was the disappearance of the trunks in the yellow belt it was this high collared armored look that was very different from superman and caused a lot of knee-jerk reactions to the new 52 with a bunch of fans going that's not my superman where i get that like there were moments where i didn't i honestly did not like new 52 superman as a character until much later in his run where he actually lost his powers because they gave Clark this weird solar flare ability in the New 52 where essentially he was able to release all the stored solar energy in his body at once in one massive energy explosion but it rendered him mortal for 24 hours while his body kind of recharged
1: not fair but also that has consequences which is good so that sounds like a decent bit of writing.
0: It was cool. It was... It wasn't used effectively at at first. And also, the... As much as it pains me to admit this, one of my favorite artists at the time came over to DC for the very first time, uh, John Romita Jr., and his art was very erratic. So... Ah. That the ability for the audience to really connect with that part of the run was severed because of just how garish the art could be at some time. Sometimes you'd have a beautiful looking issue and the very next one would look like it was phoned in. It was very inconsistent. I, the only reason I think personally that it passed editorial is because they'd already paid John Romita Jr. for it. Mm. (laughs) So they weren't going to, they weren't going to waste the money. But one of the consequences happened in that by, constantly using that that solar flare ability Clark built up this layer of scar tissue on his cells essentially that blocked him from absorbing solar energy so for a time Clark essentially burned out his own powers and was reduced to this golden age version of Superman where he was just stronger than other people and a little more durable and he couldn't fly anymore and he lost most of his vision powers and he was just this coupled with storylines where his identity was revealed publicly. So you've got Superman laid low from a power set perspective and now almost on the run because his life has been upended with the revelation of his identity. Mm. And that was honestly, probably one of the best parts of the new 52 Superman run, because during that time there was this quantum surge in character development for Clark, because now he had to figure out how to still be this hero that the world expects him to be with nothing in the in tank. And that culminated in an event called Savage Dawn, where Clark actually found out that by absorbing kryptonite, he could burn off that layer of scar tissue and and access his powers once again. But the problem is that ended up essentially giving him cancer. And the last oh, like six issues of the New 52 was titled The Last Days of Superman because he realized he was dying. And essentially spent his last few days saying his goodbyes Yeesh. and what was really like there were two moments in that that was really really hard one him saying goodbye to lana who has been his best friend and confidant this entire time so his oldest telling his oldest friend he's dying and two basically handing over the keys to the world being a defender to supergirl He basically tells Carol, look, the world's going to need you when I'm gone. You have, like, you're going to have to step up. You have to be the world's defender. That was a very emotionally tense moment in the comics, especially given everything that New 52 Supergirl had gone through at the time. Like, her life was just starting to normalize again, and now her cousin, her only family, won't be there soon. Also in the New 52, at this time, Superman and Wonder Woman were a couple. Ah! This... This has always been a popular pairing, it's occurred multiple times in the comics, in alternate realities, in pocket dimensions where they were out of time together. The idea of Superman and Wonder Woman as a couple is not new, this is just the first time it was fully explored, and it it started, I want to say, in like, issue 10 of Justice League, and ran throughout the course of the New 52, they even had their own team-up booked together, there was a lot of influence put on this relationship. Largely because it also helped connect Diana to the world. By Clark trying to live more and more as a human, it allowed her to bond with humanity in a way that she previously hadn't. And there were a lot of good moments of them in a relationship. I, I don't necessarily dislike the pairing, especially because for the longest time I wasn't a big fan of Lois Lane as a character, but it definitely did sit kind of diff, kind of weird with me. Although there is a really fun moment in their team-up book where Superman is to help Wonder Woman deal with something with the gods, and Apollo gets pissed and basically bitch-slaps Superman with this energy beam, and Superman just shrugs it off and says, you attacked me with sunlight. (laughs) It's very funny, because you're like, ooh, this is not going to end well.
1: (laughs) Let's face it, dealing with the gods never ends well. Just ask Percy Jackson.
0: I'm so glad we're getting a Disney Plus series, and a redo of that franchise
1: to be fair i i didn't think the films were that bad but also i treated it as a separate canon
0: so at the tail end of the new 52 when they were planning their their end of the new 52 and the return of dc rebirth they started softly introducing previous versions of characters and there was an event called Convergence where you find out that the our classic Superman from the previous continuity had survived the end of that reality and was basically stuck in kind of this celestial void. And after the events of Convergence, he finds his way onto New Earth, the setting of the New 52 in the main DC universe. And you find out that he's been there the entire time. But because this planet had a Superman, he decided basically it was time for him to retire, and he and Lois just lived normal lives out in the woods. You know, being she was a novelist, he was a farmer. They had their son Jonathan. There was really no need for him. And then once this world Superman died, he felt the the need to step in and become Superman once again. And how did
1: Supergirl take that?
0: Stick with me. There, it gets funnier because she at first the DC universe in rebirth believes this to be a new superman a different superman than theirs metropolis still kind of believes it's his super it's their superman but the the hero community people who know that Clark died know it's not so they're very wary of him mm. and that is the case until the first major superman crossover which was superman reborn which kind of tells the explanation of how this superman is both the classic superman and the new 52 superman it's a callback to a 90s story where superman's powers undergo an evolution and he essentially becomes a being of pure energy
1: okay
0: the 90s in comics for both marvel and dc were just weird go with me on this superman had two forms They they were superman red and superman blue two energy forms they represented different personalities. Superman Blue was much more the classic Superman. He was calm, reserved, a very you know, staunch leader. Superman Red was hot headed, brash, kind of arrogant, very much like the New 52 Superman. Well, they explained that basically that's what happened. Whenever the flashpoint occurred, whenever the New 52 began, Superman was essentially split into his red and blue personalities with red being the dominant one that lived in the new 52 and blue being the one that was stuck in the void through the events of Superman reborn. And mostly because of his son, Jonathan, those two elements of him, of Superman are finally reunited and we get the full view of his history. And actually, there's actually a really beautiful two page splash image in, I want to say it's, it's one. I think it's, I think it's the action comics issue of Superman reborn that actually it's completely silent and in all these panels, it basically tells the main parts of Superman's history, meeting Lois, becoming Superman, them getting married, his, you know, his death, fighting doomsday, finding out Lois is pregnant, the birth of Jonathan Kent, all of these things are shown silently in just this really great splash image. And it reintroduces this now, fully realized version of superman and continue with that when that happens parts of continuity reassert themselves and now everyone knows that this is their superman that the new 52 superman and this one are the same he didn't die it's just kind of he is superman the universe the, the dc universe as a large accepts him finally as the true superman and character interactions change During this first run in DC Rebirth, Wonder Woman was still grieving the loss of her lover Mm. and is also working with this Superman. So it puts her in a very complex place. It actually puts her and Lois in a very unique place story-wise because Wonder Woman knows it's not her Superman, so... There's a moment in the very first run of Action Comics where Superman has to fight Doomsday again. And he's sca- basically, he's scared that he will die again and not have a way back. And he asks Diana to step in and protect his family because Doomsday is hunting them. It's very emotionally gripping. It's beautiful art. I think it was, the storyline was called uh, Path of Doom. It's a, it's a great storyline.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, that just sounds not quite tactless, but like,
0: ow. It's, he doesn't do it willingly, he doesn't do it easily, but he needs to make sure that his wife and son are, are taken care of because Doomsday is hunting them. Mm. And there's a moment in that book that just breaks your heart because Superman essentially says goodbye to his wife and son and flies off to fight Doomsday, possibly to his death, and for the first time ever, you, you see Superman crying. It's a thought that he may actually lose this fight mm. it is a brilliant th- those those early run, parts of the Rebirth one were absolutely brilliant in terms of storytelling but I'm getting to that then we enter the Bendis era now Brian Michael Bendis is a very prolific comic book writer he worked at Marvel for I want to say 16 years he is the was the creative force behind Ultimate Spider-Man he wrote avengers for i want to say seven years straight wrote x-men for like three very very prolific writer and he came to dc and dc made a very big announcement they were they spent months teasing the arrival of bendis actually at c2e2 that year it was a comic convention in chicago my wife and i were there we met brian bendis we were at the panel where he talked about his superman run and the fact that Action Comics number 1000 was going to bring the trunks back. It was the return of the, the red trunks on Superman's costume, which people were like, you know, whatever, fine. But it was a kind of a return to form. And he did his own Man of Steel miniseries that set up like his new direction with Superman. And some of it was really good. Like The first six to ten issues of his Superman run were pretty solid but then he did what he usually does and he took a story and stretched and stretched it so thin it almost broke and that really really hurt the Superman storytelling because whereas you had on the main Superman book previously you had a creative duo of Peter Tomasi and Patrick Gleason who had done, I want to say they had done Batman and Robin together for a time they wrote one of them
1: they have done other stuff
0: they done other stuff, but they did one of the best Superman runs since the early eighties. Their entire run was focused on Superman being Paul Kent. It was seeing Superman as a father. And it was easily some of the best Superman writing I have ever seen.
1: So that's gotta be some of where that new um Tyler Hecklin and Bitsy
0: Botterface of Ace um well, Yes, Superman and Lois is based partially on that run, uh, partially on the Lois and Clark series by, I want to say it was Lee Weeks. Um, At various times, Superman has had children in the comics. In fact, there was a really great run after Infinite Crisis called uh, Last Sun, where essentially a Kryptonian pod escapes the Phantom Zone and lands in Metropolis. And it's a young boy, and Lois and Clark adopt him and are raising him as their son. And you find out that he is actually the son of General Zod. And Zod breaks out of the Phantom Zone to come after him. And it's this basically this war over who's really this this young child's father. And Chris, at this time that's his name, has to sacrifice himself in order to send Zod back to the Phantom Zone. It's a very heavy-hitting run. It is not for the faint of heart
1: (laughs) yeah no thanks
0: (laughs) yeah it's not just fanfic writers that want to crush your spirits like sometimes it happens in comics too
1: why do i want to read them again
0: because they're amazing they're great stories the art's brilliant like i can't count the number of times i have loved
1: with my spirit being crushed frequently
0: it doesn't happen very often in superman comics and usually, when it does, like a few issues later, you feel uplifted again because Clark says something inspirational, and you're like, "You're right, like, I can do this." Yeah,
1: I was gonna say, "Give me Wonder Woman."
0: Oh, then you really want to get hurt. Oh no. <laughs> Wonder Woman. That's a that's a complicated one, and I'm glad we're gonna tackle that one later. <laughs> but yeah, that's. I think I of... might
1: pop from the side to something else
0: that's kind of the the history of superman to date kind of a very high level i want to talk now about a good jumping on point which was actually the first storyline that bendis wrote in his superman run it was action comics number 1000 because again kind of like the it's detective comics counterpart some of the stories are just little glimpses at superman throughout his history some of the, some of them are set in the future some of them are set in the past some of them are just little character examinations but the end of action comics number 1000 and the the volume 2 Bendis's six issue or is it four issues i think it's four issues four issues man of steel run set up kind of the first arc of his storyline wherein you find out that, that it's implied that krypton wasn't Subject to a natural death, that its death was met, was orchestrated.
1: Oh god, this is just sounding like Doctor Who now. It
0: it has a few elements that I would that, especially in the very first run, the very first arc in his run, that were pleasantly Doctor Who like. It was it wasn't bad. It wasn't poorly written. It was actually well executed. Its problem is from there on storyline moved at a glacial pace. As
1: you said, stretched too thin. What was that quote that um, Bill Baggin Baggins said in Fellowship of the Ring about feeling like butter scraped over too much bread?
0: Yeah. And when you take books at that time, Superman and Action Comics released two, twice monthly, so two issues a month. And they each went to one issue a month because Brian Bendis was writing both of them. And then oh, you, you've already slowed the pace of storytelling. And then you, for you to tell a story so slowly, it loses interest over the course of two years on two books, when you also managed to launch two events in that timeline that are are so convoluted you can't really keep track of them. I'm talking mostly about the Event Leviathan storyline, which... Really cool concept. Execution was kind of, meh. I've got a full reading list and stuff on it on hallofjosephs.com. I'd recommend reading it in trade, but trying to read it issue after issue, month after month, got grading real fast because nothing was happening quickly. That's kind of the the downfall of, of comic storytelling at times is... If they don't release properly, or if the the issues are too spread out, it makes it it burns the audience out. And the serial nature of comics can really be a can be a boon, or it can be an albatross. <laughs> like it really can. Yeah, I
1: was gonna say I don't get on with serial books generally, just
0: because it. Some issues it works, some issues and some stories like you need that two week pause. Oh, I
1: mean like actual like novel books not comic books
0: no comics like the the
1: yeah but that's what i mean there are serial like novels and i'm just like yeah no can't do it i need a beginning a middle and an end in one book not lots of little bits
0: it all depends on release schedule like if they come out in rapid enough succession it does not bother me but when i have to wait not only another month but another month after that, because he decides to jump into another storyline before going back to this one across two different books, it becomes very daunting.
1: Oh God, no! That just sounds like a mess.
0: Yeah, I during Superman during Bendis run on Superman, I railed a lot at the sky. It was a lot of old man shouts at Sky, shaking a fist moments.
1: You do that now.
0: Yeah, but it was worse. <laughs> that being said, there are some really great. Superman stories that I would recommend people read because a lot of people will act like Superman is somehow unrelatable because of his powers when that's not necessarily the case I think it was Mark Way that said if you're not if you don't find Superman interesting you're reading the wrong stories because there are really great tales that show just how complex his character is one of which is a massive crossover event that happened in let's say it was the late 90, early 2000s called Our Worlds at War where basically this cosmic entity shows up on the planet and decides to basically just annex Earth and there are heavy losses in this storyline there are Superman is stretched thin trying to be everywhere at once and save everyone it's a really really great storyline because you see it's one of the best ones in my opinion to showcase the relationship between Superman and the Justice League, because the the existence of the Justice League it was is what lets Superman be Superman on a large scale.
1: Is um, Green Lantern in the Justice League at this point? Yes. So Green Lantern Corps could have, help out.
0: They get, they do get involved in it. The Green Lantern Corps are usually always involved in big cosmic storylines because they're kind of the front line on the cosmic side of things for DC yeah but there are some very complex things that happen in our worlds at war regarding believing Lois to be dead at one point um, some heavy some very heavy losses in terms of fellow heroes they actually have to use Doomsday to fight against this entity at one point like very heavy things happen like the story's massive I've got the omnibus for it and it's like that thick like it's huge
1: oh Jesus
0: Another one I would recommend is Superman for Tomorrow. It's a two-issue, it's a two-volume run. I want to say it was like 10 issues. It's actually Jim Lee's first work on Superman. And the whole premise of it is that you come into the story a year after it happened, essentially, in that random parts of Earth's population just disappeared one day just straight up vanished. And Lois was among those. And you find out Superman's relation and that the loss of Lois in this storyline has essentially turned Superman not not evil, not rogue, but it's severed his connection to humanity. And it's made him... Cynical and bitter. Not cynical and bitter, but more apt to take actions he previously wouldn't. Like at one point, he actually flies into this country that's in the middle of a civil war takes every single gun from every single combatant and basically says it's over. You're done fighting no more. I won't tolerate it. Well, that's a really great thing for Superman to do kind of a humanitarian life-saving perspective. It gets everybody in hot water. And essentially the justice league has to step in and stop Superman from causing problems by being himself. It's a really cool storyline. It's got a really cool twist. The art's gorgeous. And then there's this classic one that this is a storyline that pretty much anybody who reads Superman will recommend. It's called Superman for All Seasons. And if this is the best story to read,
1: I've heard of that, that one, I think.
0: It's phenomenal. It is the best story to read if you want to know why Superman is important. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. It's a brilliant story. Everyone should read it. It's probably, for my money, one of the best Superman stories out there.
1: The other thing, that actually. Um, I've just remembered as we were talking is the other thing you could potentially do is um, certainly on Amazon UK and I assume on the US as well um, there I believe is something called Free Comic Book Day mm-hmm. um, well Amazon UK has a whole load of the historical ones available on Kindle
0: for free um, Comicsology does that as well which is another amazon property um i would definitely recommend i know free comic book day got canceled last year because of all the covid stuff on the hall of justice website there's a link to a comic shop locator that will help you find your local comic book shop
1: or you could just buy electronically because i think marvel you can buy directly from marvel and dc as well can't you and they have a
0: yeah, you can do directly from them. I, I'm a big fan of print comics. I, I love going into the shop. I love my shopkeeper. I, my my daughter goes with me on every single trip on the weekend. Like, I, I love that sense of community and sense of camaraderie once you find a good comic book shop. But I realize that's not for everyone. Some people, like my wife, can't really read a physical comic. She gets kind of overwhelmed by the art and the ability to zoom in panel by panel on a digital book really helps her. Um, so I would definitely say check out some of these stories, whether it's in print, whether they're in trade or elect- electronic on digital comics. Check them out; they're really great stories.
1: And also, that's right. Too, especially with COVID, some people might not be able to um, be able to go into a comic shop anytime soon.
0: Yeah, like I, the only reason I even go into mine is because I trust my shopkeep and the the steps he takes to keep people safe. He limits the number of people. In the shop, everyone has to wear a mask. Everyone hits the hand sanitizer. He's got aisles cordoned off so you can only go one way through the shop and social distance. Jeremy, if you're listening to this, you and the group of Titan Comics, I absolutely adore you guys.
1: Maybe you should actually send him this once it's out.
0: Maybe. Um, any questions or... Um. I've thrown a lot at you in this episode.
1: <laughs> you really have. Um... Don't
0: think so. All right, Joseph's All right. Leaguers, that does it for this week's adventure. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. You can find this episode and more at hallofjosephs.com. This is Above Average Joe saying until next time.